It's an honor for me to be able to share with you another time here. This will be my second time uh, being able to preach here today. Um, a few weeks ago, um, I have the, had the privilege of answering a question about God's will. Um, we've been going through a series here uh, called Fervently Asked Questions. Um, it's wrapping up now. I think um, next week, I think Jeff is, is preaching next week, and then Pastor Bill will finish it off the following week. But today, um, I've got the, the privilege to share. And uh, the question that is before all of us today, that was presented um, in the box, I think, in the back several weeks ago, it's at the top of the handout. If you don't have a handout and you would like one, I'm sure that you can raise your hand and someone will get it, unless they're all gone. I don't know. Oh, they're all gone. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, if you do have a handout, notice the very top of it is the question. What does it look like, practically speaking, to lay up treasures in heaven? And do we have any idea how that will play out in heaven for those who do lay up treasures in heaven and those who don't? Obviously, the topic today is laying up treasures in heaven. What does that mean? What's that look like? Does everybody lay up treasures in heaven? Does every Christian lay up treasures in heaven? What's it going to look like when I get to heaven? What's the treasures going to look like? What will it be? How do I lay up treasures in heaven? All of those questions are answered in the Bible. And we're actually going to be noticing three different verses as we begin right now. We're going to read them. I'll make a brief comment and we're going to pray, okay? So if you have your Bible, open with me to the book of Romans, please. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. And here in verse 10, we're going to uh, see this topic brought up. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. We're going to read verse 10, 11, and 12, just so you know. Romans 14, 10. But you, speaking to Christians, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So here's, here's the first verse I'm just bringing to your attention. Something is mentioned as what? The judgment seat of who? God. The judgment seat of God. This is being written to Christians. So maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought I believed on Christ so I'm not going to be judged. Correct, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. But you will still be judged. And that's what we're looking at here today. Judge regarding your treasures in heaven. The second verse, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's just a couple pages to the right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Notice verse 10. Again, speaking to Christians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So here we see the judgment seat of Christ. Obviously, Jesus Christ is God according to the scriptures. So Romans 10, 14, 10 says judgment seat of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 says judgment seat of Christ. The God-man, Jesus Christ, we will stand in front of and we will give an account of our life. And here it says to be recompensed, rewarded for either the good 
that you did as a Christian or you will lose that reward for the life you didn't live well as a Christian. And then one last passage, which is the passage we will be in today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice with me verses 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Folks, that's our firm foundation. Jesus Christ. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone, not by works, not by pledges, not by promises. Our faith in Jesus Christ alone saves us and gives us eternal life. He's our foundation. But notice what it goes on to say in verse 12. Now, assuming we have this foundation, now, if any man builds on that foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because... It is to be, re- to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So what we see here, just a brief, quick statement What we're learning here in these verses is that there is going to be a very real, a very intense judgment for every person who has ever been alive. A very real and a very intense judgment. Every single believer in Jesus Christ will look Jesus in the eyes and give an account of their life. All of us. We each have an appointment that's already scheduled. We don't know when it is. It's an appointment that's scheduled to stand before the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will look back over our Christian life. Jesus will look back over our Christian life. We will be doing this in front of all the other Christians, by the way. And we will step forward when it's our turn, look back over our life to see if we lived a life as one laying up treasures in heaven. This is what we're looking at today. Let's bow with a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you that you are our Father through Jesus Christ. I thank you that Jesus is God. I thank you that the Holy Spirit, who is God also, can dwell inside of us the moment we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed your will to us and and had it written down in 66 inspired books of the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And this is what we're going to pay attention to today. I pray, Lord, you will use your word and fulfill your purpose with it in our hearts because this topic has the potential to revolutionize our very lives. If that's what you would like to do in us, please have that freedom to do it. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most frightening moments in my life was when I was 10 years old. I almost drowned. Uh, I was 10. There was a massive flood that occurred in Salem, Oregon, where I was born and raised. And it was a flood that covered everything, except our house. Thankfully, God spared our house. But being the adventurous 10-year-old that I was with my four other brothers, we thought it'd be great to go exploring in the flood. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? So we did. 
I was 10 and I decided to jump into the ditch that I knew was somewhere over there under all the water. And I thought it'd be a fun thing to do. So I jumped and I got sucked down by a whirlpool that was sucking under a culvert in the road and I was sucked under the road. There was thankfully a, a metal pipe that for some reason was sticking out of the ground barely right there at that culvert and that's what I grabbed onto. This is all I remember. I just remember water going in every cavity of my head. Every, I just remember water and holding on. My body was under the road. My hand was not. Thankfully, my, my older brother Dave, he saw me somehow. He reached down, grabbed my hand and pulled me out and he saved my life. That was probably one of the most terrifying moments of my life. That same brother, Dave, he's been almost killed probably more times than I can count. But probably if he was standing here today, he would tell you one of the most frightening moments in his life was when he was almost burned alive. He was in the backyard burning garbage. He had no shirt on, thankfully. It was a hot day or else he would have been burned alive. I can still remember him walking into the house and that was the first time I saw him when he was burned. He just, from his waist up, he, he had splotches of black and red, deep oozing red, all the way up his face, his arms. Mom was screaming. I didn't know what to do. We rushed him to the emergency room. He came back looking like a mummy, wrapped up everywhere, all around his head. But thankfully he survived and thankfully he healed very well by the grace of God. That's probably one of the most frightening moments of his life too. No matter how frightening though those two events were in my life and in my brother's life, every single person will face an even more frightening moment. And that is standing before the God of the universe. He will judge us with fire. Whether we are a believer or an unbeliever, we will be judged by fire. For the unbeliever, the person who does not believe that Jesus died for their sin, they think there's maybe more to it they have to do. They don't just believe Jesus died for them and that means they get to go to heaven if they trust in Him. For those people, when they stand in front of God, it's going to be the most terrifying future of all. They have no firm foundation. The ground will cave way beneath them. They will fall and plunge, condemned to the lake of fire which burns for all of eternity. For the believer in Jesus Christ we too face a very intimidating future. Not as bad like the unbeliever. We're not going to go down to the lake that burns with fire. Our destiny is heaven. But before we enter in, we face a judgment. A critical analysis. A review of our life. Our life will be burned. Everything we thought we invested in will be burned before our eyes. And we will see what remains. Did anything I do for God remain for His glory? It will be a very intimidating moment when we stand at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. There's a story I heard another pastor tell. It's very fitting to this. There once was a wealthy man who prided himself in his expensive and luxurious lifestyle. A dream that I'm sure most Americans have. This man was living it. In fact, he had such a luxurious lifestyle he could afford a very... Uh, uh, expensive hobby collecting fine arts pictures pottery whatever it was collecting fine arts 
He lived in a beautiful home that was built, he has specifically built by this beautiful lake. So the sun would glant, just reflect off that lake and shine into the home and it would reflect all of his treasures. It was beautiful. Very beautiful. One night he woke up choking and coughing on smoke. He jumped out of his bed. He ran to the window, opening it. He heard a fireman down below. He could see yelling at him, Jump, your roof is about to cave in. He jumped. He landed in the fireman's net. And right then, the roof that he had just jumped out from under caved in. He stepped back and away from the fire and let the firemen do their work. But as he looked, he noticed his prized possessions. He noticed everything going up in smoke. Everything he invested his life in. Everything he found pride in. Gone. It was a total loss. He was saved, yet so as through the fire. But he lost everything. Sadly, this story is going to be all too real for some Christians when they stand before Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at six facts. If you have a handout, you will notice six facts that Scripture lays out for us so that we can understand what it means to lay up treasures in heaven and what it means to not lay up treasures in heaven. A common thing that we'll be noticing is this. This is kind of my purpose statement. I want this in your mind when you walk away here today. God will critically judge every believer's life. He will critically judge our life. And the reality of that judgment should cause every believer to continually evaluate his or her life. It should cause us to think about our life and evaluate it now before standing before Christ. Let's go ahead and consider this future divine appointment. Fact number one, every believer will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ. We just read that in those three passages. We will all stand. We will all give an account. Each one of us, those were the words, Romans 14, 10, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and 1 Corinthians 3, 12, and 13. Now, what does it mean, judgment seat? What's that term mean? Literally, it means the bima seat. In Greek, it's, I think it's bema seat, but you typically hear it said bema seat. If you were uh, to travel to Israel today, which is a dream of mine, I don't know if it will come true one day, but if you're able to go to Israel and you visit the different sites, historical sites, because our Bible is rooted in history, if you go and visit those sites, you will eventually find a bema seat. You will eventually, you probably in Corinth, I would assume, Now, the Bema seat was a judgment seat, a seat that was perched up on a platform. So picture this platform right here I'm standing on. It was probably a little bigger, but there was a platform like this, and there would be a seat, and a judge would be seated there. Picture Pontius Pilate judging Jesus. He was seated on a Bema seat. He was perched on a throne judging Jesus Christ before having Jesus executed. Uh, Picture Gallio judging Paul in the book of Acts. He was seated on a judgment seat judging Paul. That's the Bema seat. But it also was used in athletic games. If you like athletic things, you will like this. The Olympics 
were held many years ago under the name of the Isthmus Games. The Isthmus Games held in Corinth. And the Isthmus Games, at the Isthmus Games, there would be a Bema seat. It was a place of judgment, but it was also a place of reward. Because the athletes who would run, who would wrestle, do whatever it was, to receive their crown, their victor's crown, they would parade before this judgment seat and be awarded. Now, if you have ever seen any ancient pictures of Greece and things, you've seen those crowns made out of wreaths, right? They're kind of woven, floral arrangements or little vines or something. That was called the victor's crown, Stephanos, the victor's crown. They didn't receive these crowns with diamonds all on them. They received a victor's crown. This meant you won. You finished the race. You're a winner. You're not a loser. They competed. They all competed. But you won and you didn't. That's what it was for. A place of of, of judgment, but also a place of, of reward. It was also a place in the athletic games where someone who did not compete according to the rules would be disqualified. They would come before this judgment seat and the ruling would be final. You did not compete according to the rules. You cheated. You didn't run the race correctly. You are disqualified from receiving a reward. That was the Bema seat. So when we're talking here about the judgment seat of God, that's the word used in Romans 14.10, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.10, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. It's on a platform. Jesus will be sitting there. We will come one at a time in front of him and he will critically analyze our life. Now, who's the judge? The Lord Jesus Christ. It's the judgment seat of God, Romans 14.10. It's the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Jesus is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, there are many other verses. Jesus is God. So we will come before the God-man with the scars visible to us, saying, I paid your penalty, how did you live for me? I died for you, how did you live for me? Let's look at your life. He will be the judge. He will be fair. He will be holy. He is righteous. He will be just. He will be gracious. He will be forgiving. But it will be completely fair and just. There is nothing we can say against him. We will say, yes, that is what I did. Yes, Lord, that's, that was me. Yes, that's what I chose to think about. Yes, Lord, that's what I chose to say. Now, who are the participants? All believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look in your Bibles, keep them open at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice verse 13, just the first couple words right there. What does it say? Each man's work will become evident. So this isn't a mass gathering like this. And Jesus will be up on the platform and, and all of a sudden say, Ken, how did you, how did you respond to this? And, and then he'd look over here and... Beth, how do you respond to this? And so, No, it's individual. Each man's work, each woman's work. So it'll be this gathering, but then you will stand from your seat, you will walk forward, and you will stand right in front of him, in front of everybody, and you will be critically analyzed. So the participants is the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are unbelievers, their judgment is called the great white throne judgment at the end of all time. And that determines... Did you believe in Jesus or not? Then the lake of fire is your eternity. If you did not believe in Jesus Christ. This judgment seat of Christ 
is for believers. How did you live for Christ? How did you live for Him? The time, when will it occur? It will be following the rapture of the church. In Revelation chapter 4, it gives us a picture of God's temple. It gives us a, a picture of God's throne. And it says that there are 24 elders seated around the throne. There's a lot of debate about this. I'm not going to get into that. But it pictures these elders as having victor's crowns. Stephanos, the same Greek word like those athletes who would come and receive a victor's crown for winning. So it gives this picture that these 24 elders have crowns and they bow down and lay their crowns at the feet of God. So in Revelation 4, the church has already been taken up to heaven and the church has already stood in front of the judgment seat of God. People have received their reward or they have not received their reward. So the time of when this will happen, you might die today and then Jesus Christ might rapture his church a year from now. You will wait for the judgment seat until the rapture of the church. We will go up into heaven and then there will be the judgment seat. It's not the moment you die. There is a future divine appointment scheduled for you and for me. Now, the judgment. I just have to clarify this. This is not a judgment about your salvation. Don't get confused, please. This is not a judgment about will you go to heaven or hell. That is already determined. The moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, go to the temple. Paul didn't say, go get baptized. Paul didn't say, start speaking in tongues. What did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust in Jesus Christ alone and you will be saved. So this judgment at the judgment seat of God we're talking about today is for everyone who has done that. Everyone who has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the judgment is the believer's life after salvation, okay? You're not held accountable for your life before trusting in Christ because your sin is forgiven, your slate is wiped clean, it's buried in the deepest part of the ocean, and there's a no fishing sign put up. Your life that will be critically analyzed is your life after the moment of trusting Christ and forward. I died for you. You trusted in me. How did you live for me? We're accountable. We're held accountable. There are a few differences between salvation and this judgment seat. I'm just briefly going to mention it so there's clarity here. Difference number one, salvation is a gift from God. It's not by works. So you can't boast about it. Your salvation is only up to God. He saves you. You can't boast about your salvation. God saves you. You trust in Jesus and God saves you. The judgment seat of Christ is a moment where you can receive glory. It's not that you'll be boasting, look at me, because you're in the presence of God. But it is a moment of honoring you. Good job, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the words we long to hear. So another difference between salvation and this judgment seat, salvation secures your eternal life. You have it. The moment you believe, you're going to heaven. You sin tomorrow doesn't mean you lose it. You have eternal life. The judgment seat of Christ, it reveals whether you have reward or not. Salvation, difference number three, means you immediately become a child of God. 
reward at the judgment seat of Christ means how did you live as a servant of God? Difference number four, at salvation you immediately receive the Holy Spirit. At the judgment seat you're examined as to how did you listen and obey the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a story that describes this very well. Mr. Smith had three sons who worked for him in his own business. They are his sons, okay? They're his children. Their sonship isn't being questioned here. They're not going to heaven or hell, okay? They're going to heaven here. They're his sons. So Mr. Smith had three sons who worked with him in his business. His oldest son was named Al. Al was a diligent worker who was never late for work. He often stayed late if needed. He did whatever he was asked and even asked many questions in order just to understand, Dad, how do you run this business? How can I best serve here in my employment? His uh, lunches were often eaten with his father, talking, learning the business. Mr. Smith's second son was named Ben. Ben worked hard. He was fairly dependable, you know, for the most part. Probably like most of us that work, right? You're fairly dependable. You usually show up on time. Ben's mind was frequently on other interests. He wasn't so consumed with his work that he would give extra time to the job. He was in, he was out. He got along fine with his dad. There wasn't any huge issues. But then the third son was named Carl. Carl was that free spirit, you know, some would say undisciplined. And he just did what he wanted to do. He would show up at work maybe 25 minutes late. He would do a sloppy job at his work. He didn't really know the policies and the procedures at the job because he didn't really care. And those that he knew, he thought they were silly. Come on, I'm just working here. Although Carl was on the same page with his father, he had no significant conflicts with him. Not really. Now, Mr. Smith loved his three sons. He loved them all very much. Each one was precious to them. He loved them equally. But when Mr. Smith was getting ready to retire, which son do you think he should put in charge of the family business along with a significant pay increase and some of the nice perks? You don't need to be a brain surgeon here. The first one, right? Al. Yeah, Carl was a reluctant worker. Ben... Ben, he was a he had divided loyalties. It was Al who knew his father. He knew the business. He had been faithful and diligent, proving himself. Is there any doubt? Mr. Smith would set the business and give it down to Al. Here you go. Good job. The author, Paul Benware, he writes some great books. He talks about this story and he says this, Our Father who is in heaven loves his children dearly. He loves his children equally. And the Bible is very clear that he is not a respecter of persons. Meaning, he's not going to say, Oh, I like how you did your hair today and I don't like how you did your hair, so I'm going to like you better. No. God's not a respecter of persons. We're on the same level. He loves us all the same. But when it comes to rewarding his children, he will deal with each of them fairly. Fairly. This brings us to fact number two. Fact number two, I'm just going to tell you right now, is going to take up the bulk of our time. The remaining facts will go pretty quick, so bear with me. Fact number two, our judgment will be based on the quality of, and I'll stop there. Our judgment will be based on the quality of... There are seven things, at least seven things, that God's children will be judged according to. There's probably more. These are just seven things that I have found in my studying, and I just want to present to you. They're 
they'll whet our appetite, so to speak. Now, look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look down at uh, verse 12 and 13. Now, if any man or any one builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test what? The quality. The quality. The fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. What does it not say? The quantity. It doesn't say how much you've done for God. It says the quality of what you have done for God. Let's think about that really quick. But notice this image here of gold, silver, precious stones. Just picture building a home. If you build a home out of gold, out of silver, out of precious stones, that's a pretty magnificent building, isn't it? That's, that's awesome. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of patience, a lot of diligence. And what about the others? Wood, hay, straw. I mean, you can just, you can throw that up. There's people building not too far from here, throwing it up in like two days, it feels like, you know? A stick house. I sure don't want a stiff wind to blow through. Now, just compare the two, standing before God. Knowing our judgment is going to be burned with fire here, what we've done for God. Which one do you want burned with fire? Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw? Gold, silver, precious stones. The wood, the hay, the straws will be burned up before your very eyes. That's Paul's point here. The first three is imperishable material, meaning it's not going to perish. It's not going to be destroyed. Gold, silver, precious stones. In fact, it gets refined. It gets more beautiful through the fire. The second is perishable material, meaning it will perish. It will be destroyed. It'll burn up. And that's Paul's point. And he says... What defines it as gold, silver, precious stones? What defines it as the wood, hay, straw? The quality. The quality. I'm just going to briefly mention this here because it really needs to be said for Christians everywhere in the world. God doesn't care how much you do for God. He doesn't care how much you do. He cares with your heart and the quality of what you do. God sees what's in the secret place of your heart. The motives. There are so many Christians, they do this, they go to here, and they do this, and I'm involved in this, and I've got the gift of evangelism, the gift of pastor, teacher, the gift of giving, the gift of... I've got all these things. Look at me. It will all burn up if the motive was not in the quality of serving God. God wants His children to be focused and passionate to serve Him in a quality way. This might mean, folks, maybe there's some things we need to cut out of our life. Is there anything that's eating up more of your time than devoting quality to what's important? Where's priorities in your life? See, that's what I mean by we need to continually evaluate our life. What's my priority in my life? And am I doing a quality job in that? How's my marriage? Is it a quality marriage? How is my parenting? Am I a quality parent or do I snap at my kids? How's my relationship with mom and dad? Am I a quality son or a quality daughter? The first area of judgment will be based on the quality of, notice number one, each one's work. 
each one's work. That's mentioned right here in verse 13. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. This is for those who already trust in Christ. That means we have the privilege of serving God. That means we have the privilege of doing things for God and bringing Him glory. Work. Now, there are at least two questions I immediately thought of that could be asked of us with this judgment at the judgment seat of God. One is, was our service in accordance to God's Word? You know, when you're building a home uh, and it's finished, some building inspector has got to go through that home in the end. And what's he looking for? He's looking at every nook and cranny and everything. Why? To make sure it meets what? The building code. Does this home meet the building code? That's assuming the one who built the home knows the code. It's the same with you and me. The code is the word of God. Our life will be measured according especially to the New Testament teachings. Do you know it? Do you know what's in the Bible and how you're supposed to live? If not, let's pursue that. Let's look into it. God, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to serve you? The second question is, was our service done with a motive of honoring God? It's not just that we start doing all these things for God. How was your motive? What was your motive? I just want to point out three words very quickly. Verse 13, each man's work will become evident. Notice that word, evident. For the day will show it, a different word. Because it will be revealed with fire. Three different words that in our English language we think the same exact thing, right? Show, revealed, evident. Same thing, right? It's going to be made manifest. People will see it. In in the Greek language, they are each a unique word. Each a unique word. Evident means to manifest or to plainly recognize it. It is known for what it is. Show means to declare its purpose so everyone understands it. And the third one, revealed, means to lay it open and make it known. So literally, what we see here is everything will be stripped away. You can't have any excuse before God. But God, I I was so tired that day. I just, I couldn't function, really. So I'm sorry I snapped at my kids. Or, God, I I just couldn't go to church. I just was so tired from working Monday through Friday. I just didn't want to go to church. We'll be held accountable for it. Now, everything will be stripped away. Everything will be made manifest for what it was and why we did it. You know, Paul says in Philippians that there are some people who preach the gospel out of strife. They're preaching the gospel. That's a good thing, right? Yeah, they're preaching the gospel and that's great, but their motive is strife, envy, jealousy. Pastor being compared with pastor... I preach better than him. They might stand in the pulpit and preach good. What's their heart's motive? This is something no one knows. None of us will know this until the judgment seat of Christ. Everything will be revealed. Everything will be revealed. The second area of judgment is based on the quality of each one's words. Each one's words. Now, the scripture is full of speaking about this. I'm not going to have us turn to all these different passages. I'm just going to go through it for us, okay? Each one's words. We will be held accountable for every word we say. Here are some questions that might be asked of us concerning our speech. And this is a touchy subject, folks. This is touchy to me, and my heart's being pricked. Was my speech honorable? Was my speech edifying to others? That means did it build them up or did it tear them down? Was it sarcastic? 
makes them walk away thinking, boy, what do they really think about me? Or was it building them up? Was my speech respectful? Was my speech clean? The Bible says we should abstain from any form of filthy language. It's amazing how many Christians change a bad swear word that can get an R rating from TV into something else that sounds just like it. Will we held accountable for that. Was my speech true? Did I exaggerate the truth? Was I known for lying or for talking about me the whole time, not really telling the whole story? We will be held accountable for that. In fact, just... Just a quick word here. When you study the Bible and you look at language and, and our words, the one who's really a spiritual Christian, who's really walking with God, is the person who doesn't talk very much. It's the person who doesn't talk very much. They know how to hold their tongue. They think before they talk. That's someone who's like Jesus. If we just spout off things and we talk about ourselves all the time and someone can't get a word in edgewise, that's just our flesh. That's our pride. We'll be held accountable for that. The third area of judgment will be based on the quality of each one's worship. Worship. Works, words, worship. Hebrews 10.25. You could jot that down right there. Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves, as is the habit of some, it says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day. What day? The judgment day. Drawing near. We are commanded right there. Don't forsake. That means you are willingly choosing to make it a habit. I'm not going to go fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ today. So the first question that can be asked by Jesus, he might look at us and say, did you forsake the assembly with believers? Did you forsake going to church? Basically, did I make it a habit to put my family, my friends, my work my hobbies, vacation, my sleep in front of the importance of going to church. I will be held accountable for that one day. I'm not saying this is some legalistic thing here. I get it. Sometimes we don't go to church for legitimate reasons, and that's fine. I'm just saying we're going to be held accountable for what's the motive here. Could you take your vacation Monday through Wednesday instead of Friday through Sunday? I don't know. What's the motive here? Let's continually think about how am I living? What's the motive? When I'm accountable before God, what will it be said of me? Another question. Was your worship reverent? Folks, this is lost today. Just turn on the radio. There's a lot of good Christian songs being written, but there's a lot of really stupid Christian songs. It's not reverent. We just read over here about God being holy, holy, holy. And then I want to jump around singing as if I'm singing to a boyfriend or girlfriend and I never mention the name God or Jesus. How irreverent. Some churches you can walk into and think, are they singing about their boyfriend or their girlfriend? Or are they singing about God? I don't really know. Was my worship reverent? Do I really want Jesus to come back right now and find me standing here texting on my phone, my hat put backwards while everyone's worshiping God, holy, holy, holy around me? Is that how I want to be found? And immediately be held accountable for that? I don't think so. Thirdly, was my worship orderly and decent? First Corinthians talks about this. Orderly and decent. Not chaotic and confusing. Was it orderly and decent? 
Not meaning it's perfect. That's not meaning I've got a spectacular singing voice or something. Worship is done in my heart. And I'll be held accountable for how did I worship God? How did I proclaim Him as worthy? Worthy are you, Lord, to receive all, all honor, glory, and praise. Fourthly, we will be judged according to the quality of each one's stewardship of wealth. Stewardship of wealth. You might be like me and immediately hear that word wealth and think, Whew, this is the first one I'm off the hook, finally. You know, this has been convicting enough here. Folks, you could just insert their money. You could insert possessions. You might be like me and it is hard to scratch two pennies together sometimes. But I'm still going to be held accountable for that one dollar I might have in my wallet. What do I use it for? What do I do? Do I honor God by feeding and nourishing my body well so I can serve Him? That's good. By providing for my family, that's honorable. What do I use my money for? How do, how do I... How am, I, am I a good steward? A question that might be asked is, was I a sacrificial giver to the things of God? Sacrificial is the key word. Someone can give $1, and that's a huge sacrifice. Another could give $1 million and not even blink an eye. Might be hard for a lot of us to believe, but that's the truth. There are more millionaires and billionaires today in the world than there's ever been before. Is it a sacrifice when you give to God? A sacrifice is a sacrifice. A sacrifice costs you. I'm not talking about being unwise here. Just, are you ready to stand before God and have Him peruse through how did you take care of the things I gave you? Fourthly, or fifthly, we will be judged according to the quality of each one's conformity to God's will. God's will. There are two aspects to this. First one is God's will in Scripture. Did I know it? Did I obey it? Second one is God's will and how He leads and guides me. So when next time He convicts your heart, how do you respond to that? Maybe you convicts your heart, I shouldn't be watching this movie right now. Do you think, ah, whatever? Or do you think, oh, I'll get up and walk out? Go ahead, guys. I just don't feel comfortable. That's okay. Because you'll be held accountable for that one day. Sixthly, the sixth area will be judged according to the quality of each one's thoughts. Each one's thoughts. Do I have a Philippians 4.8 mind? This is what Philippians 4.8 says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Is that the characteristic of your life? I'm not talking about being perfect here. But is that the characteristic of your life? Or do you have a filthy, gross mind? We will be held accountable for that. And number seven, will we judge according to the quality of each one's faithfulness? Just look quickly. I see a lot of Bibles still open. That's very good. Thank you. Look over at chapter 4. Right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. This idea of being faithful. It says, In this case, moreover, it's required of a steward that one be found faithful. A steward is someone who has been entrusted with something. You have responsibilities. Are you found faithful in them? If you're a dad here today, you have the responsibility of being a father. Are you being faithful in that responsibility? If you're a mom here today, you have the responsibility of being a mom. How are you doing in that? Are you being faithful? We will be judged according to the quality of our faithfulness. I'm not talking about perfection because we blow it. Just look at King David. He blew it with Bathsheba. He killed Uriah. 
What did he do, though? When he found out about it, he got on his hands and knees, he confessed his sin, and he was forgiven. That means it's not going to come up when he stands before God because it's forgiven. So when you think of, man, I blew it. I sinned. Make it right. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the key. When we stand before God, we will be held accountable. But the things we won't be held accountable for is the things we have been forgiven of. Now, fact number three is very quick. Our judgment will be based on a detailed examination. Detailed, I already mentioned this. Those three words, evident, show, and revealed, remember? God's going to lay it all open. It will be very detailed. He will be scrutinizing over our life. Nothing will be hidden from His sight. We think we've got a secret thing over here no one knows about. God knows about it. God knows. Fact number four, our judgment will will be based on a fiery examination. Fiery, F-I-E-R-Y. That's what it says. It will be judged with fire. Now that's good and that's bad. Fire consumes. It consumes the hay and the wood. The things that weren't bringing glory to God in my life, it'll be consumed and burned away and never brought up. For all of eternity, it's dealt with right then and there. But it's a good thing also because it purifies and it refines. So the things I did for the glory of God will be purified and will shine even more brightly for all of eternity. Fact number five, every believer has the potential for rewards. This really gets to the heart of that question this morning, treasures in heaven. What are they? What's the treasures in heaven? I don't have the time to get into everything. So we're just going to quickly look at three things, three aspects to our potential reward. The first one is commendation from Jesus. Commendation. C-O-M-M-E-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. Commendation. What that literally means is, well done. Good job. You did it. I'm proud of you. Wouldn't that be awesome to hear Jesus? When I come up in front of him, it's my turn. I'm shaking in my knees. And Jesus says, well done. Good job with what I gave you on earth. You were faithful. I'm proud of you. Commendation from Jesus is a reward we could have. Secondly, companionship with Jesus. Companionship. What does that mean? I will have a close Fellowship. I get to have this, this talking and this relationship with the King of Kings for all of eternity. Thirdly, crowns. Crowns from Jesus. Commendation, companionship, crowns. Now in the Bible, it talks about crowns. It actually names some specific crowns. We're going to look at four very quickly. The first one is the crown of life. This is found in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. The crown of life is given to believers who persevere in trial. Have you ever had a hard time in your life and you look up at the sky and you just say, God, why? Why in the world you bring this to my life? You could have the crown of life if you look up at the sky and say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. I love you. Despite the pain, I'm going to trust you through this. You could receive the crown of life as a reward for being faithful to the end. You persevered even in the midst of trials and hardship. 
Secondly, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. Crown of righteousness, Paul speaks that he says he was going to get this crown. In the last letter he ever wrote in his life, 2 Timothy, he wrote that he is thinking he was going to get this crown of righteousness. And he said, everyone else can get it too, all the other believers too, for those who loved his appearing. So do you wake up in the morning and think, wow, Jesus Christ could come back today. Wouldn't that be awesome? You could have the potential of receiving this crown, crown of righteousness. You longed for Jesus to come back. You lived your life as if Jesus will come back at any moment. You could get this crown. Thirdly, crown of exaltation. Crown of exaltation. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20 and Philippians 4, 1. This crown of exaltation is for those who share the gospel. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone and seen them convicted? And right there in front of your eyes, they say, I want to believe in Jesus. And so you are part of this amazing divine grace, this gift that they have of believing on Jesus Christ and they become a child of God. You helped in that. You can get a crown of exaltation. In fact, that crown is described as those people you led to the Lord. So let's say you get up to heaven and you help lead five people to the Lord. You come and stand before Jesus. Jesus will name them and come and bring them up. And he says, this is your reward. They're here because you shared the gospel with them. And then fourthly, the crown of glory. The crown of glory. First Peter 5.4 speaks of this. This is for Pastor Bill, Pastor Jeff, and Jim. The elders, the pastors who serve in the local church. You have the opportunity to receive the crown of glory. If you minister faithfully to the people of God. It's a high calling. Pastor Bill, Pastor Jeff, and Jim will be scrutinized more intensely than the rest. Because they've had the responsibility of handling the Word of God. I will be scrutinized more. Because of my responsibility to teach right now, this very moment. These are just some examples of potential rewards, some potential treasures we can lay up in heaven. There's a lot more. Those whet your appetite. Fact number six is the last thing we're looking at today. Every believer has the potential to forfeit rewards. Forfeit. F-O-R-F-E-I-T. Forfeit rewards. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Literal word there, suffer loss, forfeit. You could have had it, but you lost it. It could have been yours, but you chose to live this way. You chose to be disqualified from the race. You tripped your opponent up. You're disqualified from the race. You don't have the opportunity to get this crown. There are three areas that we can have loss in. First one, loss of commendation from Jesus. The same exact one for the reward, commendation. If we long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, then live that way so you can hear it. That's as simple as it is. Because there is the huge possibility that's very real. Christians will stand up there and Jesus won't give them any verbal praise. He will give them a verbal reprimand. How could you? Look at, my, look at my hands. Look at my side. I died for you. And look at the way that you lived your life. You'll make it in heaven. You'll be saved yet so as through the fire. Your life will be burned in front of you. And you will walk into eternity. That's great. That's a joyous thing. Praise the Lord. 
But Jesus won't say, well done. He could say, how could you? Secondly, loss of confidence before Jesus. Loss of confidence. 1 John 2.28 says, Abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. It's a very real possibility. When someone comes and stands before Jesus at the Bema Seat Judgment, the Judgment Seat of Christ, they will be ashamed. You know that passage that speaks about no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow? That's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. The judgment seat of Christ, there will be tears. The context is important. The tears are stopped in eternity, in heaven. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we might be ashamed for things that we did, things that we said. And thirdly, loss of crowns from Jesus. Pretty obvious. You could forfeit those crowns we already talked about. Next time the Holy Spirit convicts you, hey, just tell Joe about me. Tell Joe that Jesus died for his sin. Just You've got the perfect opportunity. Go ahead, right here, right now. And you think, oh, no way. He's not going to listen to me. I don't want to offend him. God can get someone else to share the gospel to Joe and get Joe up into heaven anyway. But you lost out on your opportunity to receive reward. In conclusion, notice the very last part of verse 15 here in 1 Corinthians 3. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The issue at the judgment seat of Christ is not, are you a Christian? You are a Christian if you, if you make it to the judgment seat of Christ. You are a believer in Christ. If you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, this isn't said of you. You're not saved yet so as through fire. You perish into the lake of fire. But that doesn't have to be your eternity. It doesn't have to be, because right now you have an opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior. There's no gimmicks. There's no works. You don't have to come forward, raise your hand. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to start speaking to some weird talk. Don't do that. Just think. If I die right now, will I go to heaven? Am I 100% sure I'm going to heaven. If you don't know the answer to that, it's as simple as... The remedy for that is very simple. In your heart, you talk to God. You say something like this, God, thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And right now, I place my faith in Him for eternal life. Thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's as simple as that. And you are given eternal life. For those of us here today that you can say, yep, I know I'm going to heaven. Praise God. That's wonderful. This might be what it looks like when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat. I don't know, but I'm going to take a shot at it. As you step forward for your turn before the judgment seat of King Jesus, perhaps an angel will bring out a booth. Maybe wheels it out. And there's a booth. Some are bigger, some are smaller, depending on your life lived for Christ. And you look at that booth as it's wheeled out. You're standing. All Your family, your friends are standing behind you thinking, when's it my turn? I don't know. And you step forward and Jesus looks you right in the eyes. 
And the angel brings this booth out. And all heads turn and you look at the booth as it comes. And there's awards. There's these little plaques like diplomas with your name on them. Congrats, Matt Turkington. There's little trophies here and there. Maybe a banner. Maybe some things flying out into the sky. Wow. Look at what I did for God. But you'll be standing there in the presence of Jesus. It's wheeled out. This booth is put in front of you and in front of Jesus. You might think, wow, this is awesome. I've been waiting for this day my whole life. And then all of a sudden you notice the angel pulls out a match and lights it and tosses it on your booth. You might think, what are you doing? That's my whole life's work right there. It goes up in flames. The trophies melt. The banners burn up in ashes right in front of your eyes. And all of a sudden there's a heap of ashes and you feel ashamed. But in that moment of shame, the angel maybe stoops down and starts shuffling through the ashes. All eyes are on the angel and all of a sudden he pulls out maybe one precious stone. Maybe two. Maybe more. And they shine. They're pure. And he walks forward and he hands them to you. And then you fall on your face and lay them on the ground and worship. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. God, our Father, You are holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of Your glory. We go to the Grand Canyon and we see how the flood tore through there. The judgment of You tore through there, creating this chasm. The water subsided and we now travel to go see something of beauty. That was a result of judgment. Lord, You are a are a beautiful God, a God of beauty, a God of holiness. And we have the privilege to be your children. Thank you that Jesus died for my sin, for all of our sin. Thank you that's nailed to the cross. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who hasn't yet trusted in Jesus, that they will do that right now. Thank you for eternal life, the hope of eternity. May we live our lives in light of that eternity. And may we be found faithful, faithful children of God, faithful servants of God. We love you. We pray that it will be said of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your patience today. We are dismissed.